Support for the following podcast comes from HopeMade Strong's training, Trauma-Informed Care for the Faith Community. This training is for church leaders that introduces how to build a safe, healthy, and trauma-informed church community. For just $5, join the training, download the toolkit, and have access to the resource library, offering dozens of books, online resources, and media links. The live training is on February 24th, 2022, but the replay and resources will remain accessible. Go to hopemadestrong.org slash trauma-informed for more information. But trauma-informed care is a bottom-up approach. We go from differently and opposite way, actually. So you belong here. It's okay not to be okay. I love you, whatever you did. And we can talk about what happened. John chapter 8, the woman in adultery caught by religious leaders came to the Jesus. And then what happened? Jesus kicked out all the religious leaders and asked the woman, where are they? And the woman said, oh, I don't know, they are gone. Jesus didn't talk about, oh, woman, you made a sin, repent. Jesus made a safety first. You are safe here. And then Jesus was saying, neither I condemn you. So regulate and relate that I don't condemn you, I relate to you, and I accept you. Acceptance is now approval. And then reason. And then Jesus says, sin no more. Perfect. The scientific trauma informed care exactly supporting what Jesus did in the woman in a caught in adultery. Aren't you excited? That's our God. Hey there, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your local church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. On the show today, we are talking all about trauma-informed care with Sang-Hoon Yoo, reverend and founder of The Faithful City. He will be sharing with us the importance of utilizing a trauma-informed care approach when offering care at your church, and how this model has the ability to transform the culture of your church. 20 years ago, you didn't hear about trauma-informed very often. Even as a social worker going through school at the time, recognizing trauma as a key component of mental health was a fairly new concept. Early in my career as a case manager and counselor, the support offered was rooted in more of a medicalized treatment approach. It leaned heavily upon the belief that those who had a mental health diagnosis needed long-term professional supports in order to thrive often creating codependency and limiting a person's ability to define recovery. Thankfully, community supports and caregiving has grown away from that model as research and studies have highlighted the benefits of a more holistic recovery model. Lessons were learned how organizations have likely contributed to re-traumatizing and limited self-efficacy. Most organizations have moved to a more recovery and trauma-informed approach, recognizing that caregivers are to be supporters, not saviors and dependent on. That recovery is possible and unique to each person, and that people are capable of resiliency. 
We normally think of trauma as being a catastrophic event or accident or being a witness to atrocities. And this is true, and it's often called big T trauma. These are types of events or circumstances that can make someone feel like their life or safety were threatened and often result in post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. But there's also this thing called little t trauma. There are distressing events that can be beyond a person's ability to cope. In 2013, the National Council on Behavioral Health identified that 70% of the U.S. population has experienced one trauma event at least once in their life. That's over 220 million people in the U.S. alone. That's a lot of people feeling as though their safety or well-being have been threatened or at risk. And this is why a significant amount of training and research has gone into understanding where trauma comes from, its impacts on people, and how to respond and prevent it. One of the core discoveries or trainings is called ACEs, A-C-E, ACEs, Training on Adverse Childhood Experiences and the Impact Throughout a Person's Life. This is important research and training that identifies how adverse child events impact health, coping, behavior, as well as it outlines appropriate responses and prevention strategies. ACEs training is common in education and behavioral health systems, and it's time for it to be common within the faith community. Behavioral health and faith are two worlds that Reverend Sanghoon lives in all the time. As a social worker and trainer in trauma-informed care, and as a pastor with a master's in divinity, Sanghoon is now training churches across the country in how to implement a trauma-informed approach to church. Sanghoon grew up in a post-war South Korea, in a poor community that doesn't look anything like the entertainment and technology mecca that it is today. Sanghoon describes his parents as non-practicing Buddhists, and even at a young age, he began to have a variety of faith influences by attending Catholic and missionary elementary and middle school. Sang-hoon has a heart that always yearned to know more about faith and a mind that wondered about the purpose of life as a young boy in middle school, and this led him to church. He continued to wrestle with the coming together of all the cultural, traditional, and Christian ideologies throughout high school and in college, and found the Christian church a bit frustrating. Honestly, I didn't like a certain church culture that is, to me, is what kind of shallow. People just come and you know, enjoy the fellowship, you know, and, and I was very serious. <laughs> Guess what? In my high school age, uh, I read the Bible. What is my most favorite book? Um, Ecclesiastes. <laughs> that was me because that was very close to Buddhist kind of um, uh, philosophy. Um, and, and so uh, my journey started like this. And obviously, I became more kind of, well, I don't want to say antisocial, but I felt like, um, the society and the whole world doesn't fit to my ideal, you know, uh, uh, idealism, you know. So I was kind of a wondering and about that. And Christianity is one of the uh, my choice. So I was continually exploring. Um, and I went to college and um, it's a Christian mission uh, university. Um, but uh, at the time, uh, we were in the political turmoil. So we were fighting against uh, uh, militant dictatorship. Um, so my college age was kind of um, um, no class, always went out the street and fight in protest. And uh, my classmate and the people um, in, in my college, um, and they died and commit suicide to protest. So um, in my survival kind of a line, 
that I, I try hard to survive with my own idealistic ideology um, from Christianity or some other um, ideologies. And, um, and also um, I try to survive, as you say, but dominantly Buddhist kind of, or in Confucian kind of country. Um, uh, uh, some people say that, oh, there's a big revival in South Korea. At the time, um, after for a while, um, out of the 10 largest churches in the world, um, seven, six or seven were in South Korea. Um, so we see the, some kind of a, um, a revival in South Korea, but at the same time, in the core of the society is still, you know, pretty much not kind of a Christian, you know? Um, uh, and so um, it's kind of hard to survive all the things and then uh, had to um, uh, fought against uh, dictatorship or democracy. Um, uh, one good thing is that uh, we earned it, you know, so um, actually um, the militant government uh, allowed the election when I became a senior in, in college. Um, and so interestingly, um, uh, death has been very familiar. We are, I'm, I'm the survivor of the war uh, generation of our parents. And, um, and when I was in high school in South Korea, entering um, university is very, very difficult. Um, even a couple of hundred kids commit suicide because of the pressure. And I survived it. And then there's a protest against the military dictatorship and people got tortured um, in, in, in commit suicide to protest. Um, I survived it and um, um, uh, I came to the United States. So, yeah. I mean, it sounds like a horrible, but it's not. But my, I'm talking about very vulnerably honest in my internal struggle, okay? So what I'm saying is that, um, uh, uh, yeah, you know, we are de dealing with the mental health and the trauma. You, you cannot see it, uh, uh, you know, visually. <laughs> it's inside, you know, in the trauma informed care movement, we say, what's wrong with you? No, we don't say what's wrong with you. We say what happened to you. But actually, um, uh, Dr. Gabriel Marte said that it's actually what happened inside of you. So when, you know, um, I cannot complain um, what the, 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 the context where I grew up, um, I, I, it's great uh, comparing a lot of suffering around the world, but um, how uh, still there are a lot of internal struggle. And now I'm finding that was a part of um, uh, my uh, trauma journey. I was going to say, from the very beginning, it sounded like you were a very deep thinker. You were a serious thinker, almost feeling ex not that you didn't fit in, in that people were often kids. You were junior high, high school, college, where you were, kids are often partying or enjoying life, but that wasn't your experience. Not only did you have the environmental context of, of political unrest and war and all of that, but you also had that internal experience of questioning and what are we here for? Some of those really deep thoughts that sometimes people go their entire life without thinking. Yes. Um, so um, I still say I'm very weird Asian guy or pastor <laughs> in so many ways. Um, maybe not appearance, but um, um, yeah, it's kind of oddball. You know, um, uh, we talk about the being marginalized. Um, and when I talk about the being marginalized uh, and with my professor, 
I don't know. In America, people always think about the money and power, you know. So um, if you're poor and, you know, poverty, or, you know, and you don't have any privileges that can be marginalized, right? Well, to me, it's, I'm very existential person, as you, as you can see. So um, uh, my belonging of my soul is very important. And it has been hard to find that where I can, you know, totally feel that I belong, right? Um, um, uh, and so uh, it's, it's hard to really uh, think about having party and all the things. You know, I came to America, we learn English. Uh, one of the things what bothers me a lot is that, hey, have fun. I never grew up with the, the word fun. So conceptually, I know what it is, but it's not my heart language. And um, I'm talking about me, but my next generation, you know, I mean, you guys know Korean entertainment is uh, sweeping the world. So they are different generation from my generation. But, um, um, you know, when, whenever, you know, people talk about having fun, I have to really seriously think about it. What does it mean? You know, because for me, having fun um, uh, is, is, is to me bring a lot of kind of guilt and selfish, being selfish looks like. You know, we grew up with the always to share everything and you know, everybody's poor. We really focus on social justice, you know, and, 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 and uh, kind of loving one another. And, you know, uh, I, I, my major was a social work. So um, having fun is, um, is, is truly good in individualist society. But, you know, I grew up very collectivist society. I mean, you may not, um, you might be very surprised. Even when I was a kid, you know, we have a lunchbox, right? And some kids had um, um, the pill, medication. At that time, medication is very rare. Even when somebody brings the medication, <laughs> you know what we do? We share the medication. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we don't care. Because, <laughs> you know, whatever we have, we share, man. You know, just um, um, so we have that kind of the mentality. I don't want to say it's the communism or socialism, but um, it's really um, surviving together. Um, um, and then uh, we are very westernized nowadays. It's very different, I believe. Um, but um, in my particular way of uh, growing up and my personal struggle, um, um, I, I always um, think about me and us and together. Um, in that sense, I'm people person, but also I'm, I don't want, I'm, I'm not having people to have a fun. I'm having people to talk about life, to talk about how we can improve, change your life. You know, that's kind of my thing. Yeah. Hmm. That's your version of fun. Yes. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so what drew you to social work? So yeah, so I wanted to actually have a major in philosophy in, 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 mm -hmm. in that that resonates. That makes oh, sense. But um what I like is in the Christianity is that, you know, um I mean we have a great, you know, the Buddhist monk and all kind of amazing philosophy. Um and I studied a lot about the Western philosophy, those are very good. But what I like of Christianity is that um, it was very practical, right? And just um, really action-oriented. It's not about just about my being on very transcendent or going somewhere. I, I'm here and involved in this society, engage with the society. Um, ironically, the, all the hospital and schools came out of the monastic 
kind of ministry, you know, you know, you know, from Christianity. So I love to really pursue some ideal kind of uh, my ideal society or Christianity or God. At the same time, I go out and and really uh, helping people and working uh, for the you know justice and change. Um, and in that sense, um, social work is very applied, very new at the time. So nobody want to go there. Um, but I liked it. Um, I like to, to challenge that. And then uh, in my university, the social department at that time uh, was acquainted with uh, the part of the uh, College of Theology. So I, I liked it, that idea that um, 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 having um, and the Christian faith and then some classes on that and as well as you know, learning about the social work. I found the United States is totally different. So that's <laughs> why actually I... Oh, the more I spend there, it's very hard for me because the, my, my heart is split because I love social work, but the ideology between social work and evangelical kind of, a, you know, theology is very hard to match together. So that's why I was in social work and I still love, my core is a social work. Uh, I, I'm a pastor, but I'm more kind of a pastor care and then community engagement kind of type of pastor. Although I do the preaching on Sundays, I'm not that type of pulpit pastor. I'm more kind of a pastor to engage in care and counseling and all the type of, because I'm, my core is that uh, really helping and improving and reinforce that the change, what we need to do to make a better self or group or society. So that draws me to social work. And that's my journey began with my major in college. That's awesome. I can I can empathize or I can I have a familiar story where I wanted I was really drawn to ministry or missions or community engagement and helping impact change, knowing that I didn't want to go into ministry or didn't I should say I didn't feel that calling to go into ministry, but still wanted to evoke change and be a part of something bigger than myself. And I really agree with you that um Social work is kind of the hands and feet uh, of the gospel in that they're the going, they're doing, they're putting action. They're the frontline people who are, 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 you know, in the community doing the work. So I love that. I love that story. So when you were over in the United States finishing up your, it was your master's degree, your master's of social work, you say you're also a pastor. So how did that transition happen? Where, where did you transition from social work to pastoral care or, or theology, I should say? Yeah. So, um, so what happened is that, um, um, I was in actually Michigan for my master's, um, Michigan state. And then I moved to the original state because my advisor who became my American mom later, um, and she came down to um, Arizona State University. So I came down together um, uh, to do the PhD course. So I wasn't in actually a PhD, but um, unfortunately she could not continue the, the uh, job as a professor because she got sick and um, um, but we, we've been um, family together. Um, and then ideology, again, the ideology is very, very hard that, um, you know, uh, in social class, if you are kind of uh, 40 people are, are women and you are part of one out of three, you know, male, and I'm okay with it. But the thing is that, um, the, you know, if you're a Christian at the time, it's sometimes very harsh kind of uh, atmosphere um, at the time. So I, but I knew when I signed up um, PhD or things that even I can teach in the college, but I knew that 
I had a call that that I'm gonna be a pastor or you know bivocational or lay pastor. My heart is always um, Bible and discipleship and changing people's life um, and, and my life together. I mean, you know, all, all together. So I was very very active uh, with um, our church activities, and I. Uh, actually uh, founded my own ministry in the college, the Facebook city, how it started. Um, so <laughs> obviously it took more time on me and I didn't have much interest in continuing my study. You know, one day I found, okay, this is a 1 a.m. And um, I know I can talk with somebody right now, you know, all the college kids, you know, overnight, you know, several cups of coffees, that's fine. but. And I was thought I was thinking about my future. Okay, you stay all night just to writing, writing, writing to publish article. And my heart was obvious um, that um, I I love to do that type of the um, professional and writing and teaching. But uh, my heart is that it's to to kind of a uh, um, uh, pumping that for that I I just um, need to some meet somebody um, and, and having time with them. Um, yeah. So uh, that's, uh, that tells me, told me that it's obvious what is my calling. Um, I'm a practitioner. Uh, I, I cannot just stay on the, on the desk and then sitting on the desk and reading the book 15 hours. My daughter can do, not me. So, um, and, and so I, um, that's why I made a transition that, um, okay. Um, it was very hard, uh, Laura, though. Again, as I said, um, education is kind of an idol, you know, in, 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 in South Korea. If so, I talked about it, about suicide, you know, or, um, that type of story when I grew up. So um, if you fail um, um, in this type of, the, you know, PhD course, it's a huge shame, huge, huge shame. Even, you know, you can commit suicide and people going to understand it, you know, kind of a, what, what a shame, you know, so it was very hard to overcome it. That's why I dragged a lot, but in the end I found um, I thought I can I can be a superman to both sides, but I found you no, know, I'm not, and then my calling is obvious. So um, I quit my um, PhD course, and then I founded the Facebook City and started going to seminary. So I became a um, the full time pastor uh, with the campus ministries, and then a lot of uh, community engagement in and local church. How long have you been a pastor? I think. Um, 25 years. As a pastor, do you ever find yourself sitting and connecting with someone? And how does how do you integrate your social work, clinical skills, and the pastoral spiritual? Because that's quite the blend. And are you sitting there in front of someone? How do they blend together? Do you find them um, in conflict? Or how do you mix those to provide the support that people are coming to you for? Yeah, and one of the other reasons I became pastor is, um, you know, I learned a lot of skill set. You know how to do the counseling and at that time i was too young i think you know just like um i know what to say but my heart didn't follow you know what i mean there's like um um oh yeah i understand in my head no i don't understand why do you do that that's stupid you know um <laughs> and i want to be really genuine with myself with my heart and and become transparent and and, and also i know i'm i'm asian as you can see and in those days, all the minority society, uh, people groups, um, I, even majority too, but people don't come to counseling much. My goal is trying to helping people. And in, in terms of accessibility, 
Um, actually, in my community, people are going to come to the pastor first before they go to counselors. So there are many reasons um, I, I wanted to, um, to be a pastor. And so um, because of my heart, I uh, uh, changed my vocation, but I gained a lot of great skill set and knowledge from social work. And it doesn't, um, it, it, it doesn't clash each other because I have a pastoral heart and I exercise the social skills. There's no problem. Um, my, my, my church is most of the time, my church is a coffee shop is not, is not perfect. And, and, um, people can be changed their life while we have a, in a couple of coffees. Um, and so I, I, I love that. Um, when I say the differences in ideology is actually as a kind of a system, right? And, and then there's certain things that legally and, on, and ideologically, what you have to agree, what you don't agree. Um, but in a personal relationship, it's great. Um, you have a social work principles and skill set. Um, and a lot of things are very biblical. Um, and then uh, I, I bring the pastor's heart and um, also my theological uh, background and perspective, which is also very, very important for me. Mm -hmm. You did quite a bit of theology training. You have your master's? Yeah, so um, I have a master's um, um, in divinity. Again, I came out of you know Korean um, culture and Korean Christian is very, very conservative. So um, actually a lot of Korean churches didn't like me because um, let me tell you this, I was in Catholic kindergarten, um, evangelical elementary school. I started to go to church, right? I entered another mission college, the first mission college by established by American missionaries uh, in South Korea. And um, I got baptized in the Presbyterian church. I became a deacon in Baptist church in the United States. And I, am, I was ordained by charismatic church. And I went to seminary. And then after that, I got a spiritual direction uh, in the Catholic uh, uh, Institute. So I got a spiritual direction under the nun. So I got those so many uh, uh, areas of the uh, uh, denominations and the groups of the Christianity. Um, that's a great, but at the same time, um, again, uh, some people don't like me because um, um, you 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 were uh, ordained in that denomination. We don't allow that. You know that's a heretic, and you know all kind of stuff. So. Um, I entered the seminary because uh, as a Korean, we value the seminary and uh, we value the education. And, um, oh, yeah, it's really honest story. But, um, you know, I didn't like a pastor when I was in lay person. OK, so I just <laughs> thought, what do they learn from seminary? You know, and I said, uh, my main um, passion for seminary is a learning language, um, Hebrew and Greek. And now even find the seminary doesn't teach that. So I thought, wow. But. And then I went to seminary, and you know, you know what I found? I found seminary teaches great things, but as a pastor, you come out to start your particular pastor work in the world. You don't do that because the world is just different, you know? And, mm -hmm. and so it's the same. We, in the social, we're always talking about the, 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 the differences between theory and practice. And likewise, we see that. So I love seminary and in so many ways, so many reasons. Um, and so I just uh, finished um, Master of Divinity 
um, uh, yeah, in, in the seminary. And it was a great time. And I still love the, the, my cohort, my friends from seminary, you know, working together, you know, and it's, it's just a great experience. So tell me about the Faithful City. You mentioned that earlier, that, that that's what you started when you first um, started out in ministry. Um, but it's also the organization that you do a significant amount of trauma-informed work. So where did this Maybe we should start with, tell me where your passion for trauma-informed work started. Which one's first, chicken or egg? Is it the faithful city should we start with or trauma-informed passion? Which one? <laughs> so trauma-informed uh, care and community is very recent development. So uh, I had a humongous transition from social work field to the pastoral um, field, right? Um, so I uh, mainly the Facebook city was founded uh, in, in uh, university field, so campus minister, um, but also I was uh, also a pastor of a local church. Um, uh, it's a, a, a <laughs> people say American church, kind of anglo dominant church. Um, uh, so I did the campus ministries and the local church also as a pastor, you know, dealing with all type of pastoral care and, and also as a pastor, and also um, be done with the community work and the national conference, like a promise keepers and um, you know, uh, some other kind of national conferences. Actually, I was part of the National Committee of uh, uh, Ethnic American Network, which was built by Billy Graham Center uh, 16, 17 years ago. And they did the Ethnic America Summit in our city in the Phoenix. So I got uh, very involved with all the kind of things. So I was um, very active. Uh, my, my core is a discipleship and working with the young people from around the world, you know, all together. And now uh, they are scattered. Uh, I still have the global our network meetings, and now they are forties and have a kids, you know. <laughs> um, um, but at the same time, um, I got involved with the uh, uh, city mayor to work with the community, and it slowly came down to be in, uh, exposed again the, the 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 field I left, like a social work, you know, fire and police, and you know the community and. Um, I ending up uh, more work with um, uh, aging our foster kids and uh, homelessness and mental illness. And I found also that a lot of traumatized and broken young people uh, on the campus. And out of all this, um, you know, starting 2010 or 12, slowly I got into my own uh, vicarious trauma, which means a secondary kind of secondary trauma in, on me. And also, um, I started my own uh, traumatic season. So um, people did, never knew what I went through, um, but um, uh, because I'm, I'm very active, you know, in the church and community um, and amazing discipleship from all around the world. Um, and, uh, however, um, uh, I also felt, I don't know why, but very um, uh, depressed and, uh, I felt like um, um, I'm failing. And so I came down to the point um, 2015 that I became really suicidal. I, I gave up everything almost in my life. Um, church ministry, um, social work um, or, or um, theology part, whatever. Uh, even um, my uh, most important relationship uh, with my biological family um, yeah, so I was really deep, deep in trouble uh, with myself, with my own traumatic seasons that uh, felt like um, um, I thought I gave up everything for God, 
you know, I, I crossed the ocean. I didn't go back to my home country as a professor. I, I started the ministry, but I felt like uh, uh, it's all in vain. And, and so, um, I, I mean, things happen, um, but uh, I don't have to talk about it. But anyway, in ending up uh, my own uh, serious uh, depression and becoming suicidal. So that was kind of a moment, you know, that mm-hmm. I don't know what to do from tomorrow. <laughs> and um, at the time, I went to DC for some other conference, but there I, I met um, um, uh, someone um, and who does that, um, who did a national conference. It's called Trauma-Informed Congregation uh, Conference. So first of all, trauma, well, I left that field decades ago. And congregation, I never thought mental health in church, trauma and pastor, they can work together. That's why I say goodbye to social work, right? And then I just become a pastor. Um, and then it sounds like they are together. What is this? And that was the first time I, I got really introduced mm-hmm. to the ACES study. Uh, at the Richard Experience Study and Trauma-Informed Care Movement, uh, which was local and national. Um, so that was the beginning. And I came back and to Phoenix, and there was already Arizona ASS Consortium, which was built um, uh, 15 years ago. And uh, um, I joined them. Uh, one of the founders, Marsha Stanton, actually looking for the faith leaders because it's all sectors coming together, uh, working together as a consortium a great uh, uh, organization. Uh, now I'm, I'm serving that as a board member and chairing the phase committee, interface committee there. But um, so um, I joined that and then um, I started, um, I founded the Arizona Trauma-Informed Community um, on the Facebook City as a community movement. But, um, and then <laughs> it's, it's interesting, just since I started, it grew exponentially. Um, I, it's, it's unstoppable. So it's so grew big, um, which helped me to survive. Okay, sure. But also, um, still, I'm in the recovery of six years. Um, you know, I, I struggle with God like a prayer, like a Jacob, um, struggling with God, you know, every day and night. Um, so um, I, I got into the everything. Um, um, one thing really made a huge attraction is that uh, when the trauma informed care movement says that um, the one of the important things to recover from trauma is unconditional love uh, with a, a constant care, one person with a constant care. And when I heard that, um, and people say unconditional love or compassion, and one person with a safe and constant relationship. And when I heard that, Laura, hey, that's what I'm doing. You know, and that's not medical term or, you know, social work or a behavioral health term. So I, fe- I felt, oh, there's a, there's a space we can do something in this movement. And so I got into there and then I, um, I lost my God, right? Almost lost my God, but uh, re-encountered God and I really, really experienced unconditional love. Um, <laughs> that's a huge story. Um, uh, yeah, because... Um, you know, you talk about the when you know I was saved, and you know, obviously we know this uh, God's conditional, unconditional love, and through Jesus, that's how I'm saved. But I found that 
still, I was very conditional to receive God's love in terms of looking at myself. So still, that love of God didn't touch my um, guilt, shame, self-condemnation. Um, and, and finally, um, like uh, the book of Job, chapter 38, God show up and mm. show how much he's big. And, and that happened to me that, you know, really God really accepted me, whatever I did. So that experience, and there are a couple of people around me always um, loved me unconditionally. And, and so with that, and the trauma-informed care, the science and skill set, and all the things that really helped me. So I was really in a genuine sense of a recovery you know, by myself, and at the same time, part of the movement and started the faith community movement. And it also exponentially grew. Um, 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 so, so it's very interesting, you know, five, six years later. Before that, I thought I wasted everything in my life. I was a huge guilt to my dad and mom, I didn't do anything for those who loved me. But now, um, still saying, I didn't do much for my <laughs> dad and mom who loved me so much, but um, whatever I thought the waste from social field or my um, theology or an, an pastoral field, now I use everything. Um, and it turned on the mm -hmm. severely day and night mm -hmm. story, you know? So I use everything. And I just to put the trauma in front of, the, in front of that trauma from the prayer, worship, discipleship, um, because this some people criticize trauma from care as just a lens. But hey, if you change the lens, you look at the world whole differently, and then you respond to the world whole differently. So you really live another life. So um, yeah, it's dramatic change, and this is my testimony. So um, um, I, I know there's some people in the backlash against it and all the things, but let me tell you, um, th this is my testimony and I experienced mm -hmm. it and I really believe in it. So um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I started my, our conversation, conversation with who cares, but I don't care anybody, whatever says, this is, I really believe in it. I really experience, yeah. I own it, you know? So that's yeah. why I'm very passionate on this. Um, not because, oh, trauma from care buzzword and that's great training. We need to do that. Um, uh, it's not like that. I, I really, I live in it. Mm -hmm. It sounds like your life was redeemed or, well, Christ redeems us, you know, but your experience of those internal conversations that you were having, mm -hmm. um, you found purpose and belonging mm -hmm. that wasn't there when you found the trauma-informed care lens mm -hmm. on top of pastoral ministry or mm -hmm. church and ministry. That's a it's a beautiful story because that's you are now taking that um, that transformation of like you said it's your it's your testimony that you are now mm -hmm. able to walk out and share with people. It's mm -hmm. beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Honestly, I don't like the testimonies because it can give a wrong idea. People think, oh, I should be like that if I believe in God, you know, if I mm. go with God. That's, not, I, that's why um, um, 
I'm not here to set the example, but I'm here to customers witness the witness mm-hmm. how big our God is, and He can do really amazing things. Um, even though I was in the point that I gave up everything, include God, mm-hmm. you know. So you're talking about trauma-informed care being a buzzword, and we are hearing a lot about trauma lately. It is almost feeling like a cliche or a buzzword. I don't know if we're quite there with cliche yet, but it is really a a topic that is being talked about, whether we're talking about social justice issues, whether we're talking about COVID, or whether we're talking about cultural impacts from, you know, the, the wars or the, or where people are coming from as as newcomers to the country and um but how can how can we apply that to the church where does where does that intersection come i talked about it in the beginning uh, of the my involvement is really fascinating because i could see the faith and science can come together right when people talk about unconditional love and one person with a constant care um uh and so um it's fascinating and and yeah it's a buzzword but also um there is a resistance uh that uh, people first of all don't want to talk about trauma it's hard to talk about it's messy so they say oh let's talk more about resiliency you know or hope but to me they are flip yeah. side of a coin you know we don't just now even the acesconnection.com which is a national hub here they changed as a pacesconnection.com so they talk about adverse childhood experiences, but also mm-hmm. positive childhood experiences. Yeah, we, we, we have all of them together. But um, I don't want to talk about science here, but there's a resistance that people say, trauma-informed care is not biblical and there's only science and all kinds of things. But again, let me tell you, I'm very blunt that um, my God is a trauma-informed God and whoever follows Jesus, um, is gonna be the best trauma-informed care guide um, um, uh, in the whole world. And that's my conviction. Um, that's why I love it. Um, um, and because I bring trauma to our core of our humankind issue. Um, so trauma-informed care to me is not just like, oh, we are helping homeless. We are helping the single parents, you know? It's not kind of a side ministry when church says, Oh, I'm sorry, we don't have money for that, you know, all kinds of things. No, I'm talking about trauma, which is a core issue of our humankind. Okay. Because usually trauma, people think about oh, horrible things happen, like um, war, uh, we are in the pandemic, or you know, um, torture and other things. But trauma informed care based on the ACES study and the neuroscience is really about our biological correct behavior to um, to survive uh, against any type of stress. So we talk about fight, flight, freeze, or fawn and flock. Those behaviors is not only for the trauma. We all do that. It's a matter of degree. But when it goes longer time without support to become toxic stress, it becomes a more kind of change of our whole body system, right? And then I totally connect to this, to the, our original sin, because Oh, we love to talk about the sin, not the trauma-informed care. The core of a trauma-informed care, when we say, don't ask what happened to you. I'm sorry, don't ask what's wrong with you, but ask what happened to you. We want to give you the root cause. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm Christian. I believe in the root cause, all our brokenness from the original sin. 
And after the original sin, chapter three of Genesis, what Adam and Eve did what? They did fight like threes. And after that, all our life is totally about survival. So our brain is already kicked in with the survival brain, right? And, and so in a sense, you know, ACES study says ACES is everywhere. So we change the definition first. Trauma is everywhere. And anyway, anyhow, I'm affected. Some people say in next 14 years, everybody gonna be affected by COVID. We live with COVID. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I don't wanna bring argument here, but it's like that the sins affect all of us. The problem is in the church, we only talk about sin as a self-willed choice. But ACEs, you know what is ACEs? It's a neglect, abuse, you know, broken family. The baby's children, they didn't choose it. ACEs is the sin against the babies and children when they didn't commit to it by others, their parents or their community, right? Jesus is a ruler over all the sins. Our Jesus has to take care of not only my own sin, but uh, the sins commit to my life by somebody else. That's why trauma is not really clinical, you know, uh, uh, the world clinical thing. It's our humankind thing. We are all sinners. If you are Christian, we believe we are all sinners. We can only save by grace, mm -hmm. right? But still, we've still focused on the work and behaviors, try to get better. But bottom line is, we, we don't have any hope without grace. So we need the grace every day. So trauma-informed care, the most important thing is the bringing safety, grounding, um, regulation, calming down, biologically, you know, uh, secured. That brings what? sense of peace, right? And hey, we have a Jesus who gonna forgive you whatever happened. Then who is the best, you know, healer in this trauma from care? Mm. That's Jesus. You know, think about it. You know, I already shared with you, I think, you know, um, Bruce Perry, Dr. Bruce Perry talk about regulate, relate and reason. Safety first and regulation of our lower brain and body system, and then relate, need to be feel loved and uh, uh, accepted instead of rejected, right? Or abandoned. And then we can reason, hey, what happened to you? It's okay not to be okay, mm -hmm. let's talk about it. A lot of times we go the other way around, right? Like uh, here's a rule, you memorize rule, keep the rule, then we love you mm -hmm. and you belong here. But trauma-informed care is a bottom-up approach. We go from differently and opposite way, actually. So you belong here. It's okay not to be okay. I love you, whatever you did. And we can talk about what happened. John chapter 8, the woman in adultery caught by religious leaders came to the Jesus. And then what happened? Jesus kicked out all the religious leaders and asked the woman, where are they? And the woman said, Oh, I don't know. They are gone. Jesus didn't talk about, oh, woman, you made a sin. Repent. Jesus made a safety first. You are safe here. And then Jesus will say, neither I condemn you. 
So regulate and relate that I don't condemn you, I relate to you, and I accept you. Acceptance is now approval, and then reason. And then Jesus says, sin no more. Perfect. The science, scientific trauma informed care exactly supporting what Jesus did in a woman in a, called an adultery. That's amazing. Aren't you excited? That's, That's our amazing. God. That's our yeah. God. When Eliza was depressed, the God didn't say through angel, read the Bible more, pray more. Eat and sleep. Yeah. And eat and yeah, drink. And she ate and drink and slept. God said twice, right? So who created us? God created us. And trauma-informed care is a biological, uh, biological fact that when we are not safe, our body reacts. So we need a safety. And then people without Jesus, they track a lot of things, right? Mindfulness and other things. I do that too. But if we have a Jesus, you know there's an unconditional belonging, unconditional acceptance, unconditional safety, right? That's what we believe. And when the belief is more intensified, come on. This is what we're talking about, trauma from care. What's the difference between the gospel and the trauma from care? Is trauma-informed care then, for people who are listening, it sounds like it's a modality or an approach or a lens that you connect with people. Well, when it comes to trauma-informed church, church is often a program, a system. There's many working parts. How can people implement trauma-informed care within a church when what you're talking about sounds like it's through conversation and more of a pastoral care approach? Uh, another thing is that um, uh, trauma and care, we're talking about the re-traumatization, you know. Mm. But that's why it is also different from people's kind of a normal understanding. When we talk about trauma and care, people are talking about, oh, yeah, in our church, there are people suffering from trauma. We need to help, you know, heal them and help them. <laughs> Actually, this is not about them. This is about people who think, I don't have anything to do with the trauma. Why? Because... Trauma is about the memory. And trauma is about not the only danger, but perceived threat. Perceived threat can happen anytime, right? When I got attacked in the parking lot, and then, oh my gosh, that memory stuck with me. So in the daytime, nobody's there. I go to parking lot, suddenly my body kind of struggling, anxious, right? That's the perceived threat. That's the trauma. So. There's a lot of activated triggers of my trauma memory, which can re-traumatize me. And by the research, re-traumatization can be worse than original trauma. And we cannot stop the, the triggers, it's everywhere. So the more important thing is not about the person who are struggling with the trauma, but the environment or relationships. Because any other relationships, any, any environment can stimulate the trauma memory and trigger and activate and then traumatization is going to happen again. So this is very important. It, the typical healing modality is us and them. I'm counselor, you're a client, I'm doctor, you're, you, you know, you're a patient. I'm, I'm healing you, fix you. But this paradigm is from us and them to we are all in this together. Because I have a small degree of trauma, you have a maximum degree of trauma. It's obvious, but we are in this together. We are learning together. It's not about the cultural competency. 
It's more about the cultural humility. I don't know you, but I'm okay. Um, um, I, I want to learn from you. And that helps the, the trauma survivors can really feel belong. Because again, from the brain structure, the belonging is more important than reasoning. That's why we talk about safety and then acceptance, right? If church members cannot provide saying, hmm, who is suicidal, the kind of belonging mentality, then this cannot be trauma from the community. That's why people leave the church. It's not just because of a uh, oh, doctrine, I don't agree, you know, all kind of stuff. But anyway, let me tell you, when brain does perceive the environment, it goes, the, the, all the information from environment comes down, uh, comes uh, to the uh, lower brain first, which is a checking point of the safety or not. I'm sorry, I'm picking on you. Laura is an amazing preacher, but I feel like, <laughs> oh, I'm scared by her. Then whatever you preach, I cannot hear. Mm. For example, I, I talk about forgiveness and one uh, rape survivor was kind of angry at me. So, you know, I thought, although I teach you what not to say what's wrong with you, in my mind, what's wrong with you? <laughs> because I didn't do anything wrong. Why are you angry at me? But whenever I use the word forgiveness, her mind is immediately her brain goes to the the the, the torture, the, the trauma when he, she got raped. So she cannot think. She does to the feisty her fight behavior. So I didn't do anything wrong. And then she was against me, what I'm doing, right? So um, nobody's the fault here, but we need to understand this. But based on our relationship, afterwards, I found that what happened. And then we could reconcile and rebuild the relationship. So that's a kind of a, uh, uh, kind of a uh, uh, slide a slight shot of that the kind of a picture of a trauma from church. So people need to understand all this um, biblical perspective of biology and science of a trauma from care. And then they need to practice from their life first. So um, I need to see what, what triggers me, what stimulates me and how I handle this. And then I need to build my life like a discipleship as a lifestyle. So I can really be resilient. I do self-care. I, I can overcome this stressor in my life or trauma. And that's the first step. And then, and then I can really bring this vibe of uh, care, safety, peace, um, and, and this lifestyle to somebody who is struggling with a trauma survivor. In, and, they can, and they can see the role modeling. So according to research, uh, the trauma recovery comes better with the role modeling rather than just uh, instruction or you know lecture. And that's why when we think about the organizational journey of a trauma-informed care like a church, it's not about people who are suffering right now. It's about people who can be their context, their safety. And we need to make our own life first, safety first. So when I do that with a church, we our first change comes down with the pastors and leadership and staff, like a STEM meeting culture. How was it? We need to build a trauma-informed atmosphere and community in our leaders' relationship and, and, and community first. And when we really believe it, make a lifestyle, and then we can go to the next step, which is uh, reaching out our hands to those who are uh, suffering from trauma. So it's kind of a, uh, process, a journey, 
And because of this paradigm, people are having a hard time because I'm okay. I'm not here to learn about myself. I'm here to help them out. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that would be, that's the hardest part for pastors is that they're always outward looking. They're always looking at how can I help others? How can I help others? And so this is trauma. What you're talking about is more than just a a skill or a template or a, a, w- a way to help others. It's it's self reflection. It's it's looking at the environment. It's creating safety and it's how you approach others. There's a lot to trauma-informed care. Many, many layers. Yes. So um, so that's why we need to ask that um, um, there can be a lot of a complaint. Oh, it's too slow. Uh, it sounds like very costly and it's not, it sounds like a non-efficient or effective. But I want to ask, you know, that um, <laughs> Do you want to do the real, genuine healing? <laughs> you know, it comes a lot of times out of the, the relationship. You know, in a counseling area, we have actually two schools. One is about therapeutic relationship. The other one is a therapeutic modality. Now people only focus on the modality and certification like EMDR, CBT, all the things. But according to research, still, therapeutic relationship is very important. Who does the therapy matters rather than what kind of a therapy? Same thing. Bible is one. We all preach. We all try to care. But the result is not right. Then what? Bible is wrong or church is wrong. But maybe somebody who does it, right? And we say in the brain science, dysregulated brain cannot regulate the other dysregulated brain. You know, I helped Laura so many years. She doesn't like me. She doesn't, there's no effect. Then when I see Laura, I'm anxious. Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with Laura. I need to deal with the first, my own guilt, shame, my own disappointment, my own anger. I have to learn how to deal with myself first. And when I deal with it by grace of God, with the relationship with Jesus, then it can really effectively help Laura to really um, uh, come together in a healing kind of context. So church can be the really healing community, you know? By the way, Laura, I'm sorry. <laughs> so Sehun, do you do this training with churches? Do you, and, and if so, how do you do that? So um, I do that with the churches and schools and other organizations. And I have a, the paradigm of that uh, trauma-informed community journey with the four steps or four pillars it doesn't have to be lineal so the first step is the raising awareness comes with the training of course and then second step is that as i said a second pillar is that increasing resiliency and self-care among the leaders among the staff among the mm. people who are helping and it takes for a while and then third um, layers a third pillar is that talking about um, organizational change. So now we are really mm-hmm. talking about how we deal with the people who are suffering or how we change the, all the environment here. What is the message here? Worship language. Um, is uh, playground is a safe, gym is a safe, classroom is trauma-informed, you know, color, smell, all those things. So um, it goes down to the more organizational level, but culture change. And then next step is, um, then we're talking about the community engagement. Again, it's not about the competence, more about the humility, which means, oh, we have a light, you are dark, you are in the darkness, we go and then, you know, uh, give a light to you. Instead, we are learning from the community uh, what they've been through, 
what is their historical trauma? What is their historical resiliency? So how we can really embrace them and to uh, uh, be part of a safe community. So we learn from them. And then out of all this, what we want to do is not correction, but more about advocacy. You know, people all are amazing survivors. So we need to advocate uh, in the survivors because the more we uh, work in this area, we see um, there are a lot of uh, uh, the, the systemic or uh, injustice, which is beyond the person's kind of self-control. <laughs> so there's something we can do for you know, ourselves, but there's something more than just the one person can do and which we cannot control. So we need to come together, how we can be wise and strong um, to survive and thrive in that environment. So where can people find out more information on how to work with you? If someone's listening and says, you know, this is really important. This will transform how our church operates. This will create a safe place for our community to gather. This is what my church wants to go through and wants to do. Where can they find out more information? Yeah, so the best thing is an email, which is uh, the Facebook city, one word, uh, the Facebook city at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, um, uh, thefacebookcity.org, and there's also uh, the button you can email to us. Um, uh, I recommend that first. Um, I mean, you know, you can you can find anything to Google, right? So if you are more interested in some other people do on this area, um, and yeah, you can find a, a lot of things. But for me. Um, I appreciate our uh, individual dialogue and, and I just want to uh, do the, the best thing which fit to your own struggle or your own church or your own um, uh, case, right? So I encourage you to contact me individually and we can go from there. And I have a lot of great resources, like I have a Laura next to me. So I can refer, you know, you guys, somebody have a better service than you know, somebody else. So, um, yeah, so uh, I appreciate if you can contact me with um, uh, the Facebook city at gmail.com. Fantastic. And we'll have all of that in the show notes. Um, but one thing I do hear from churches as I work with them in consulting and doing care ministry is that people really appreciate the, the, the customized or the unique approach to their church because each church has a unique community, a vision, the, the, the ministries that they offer, the, the staff and the skills and the strengths within the church are all unique. So the fact that you prefer to work one-on-one to be able to highlight and work with them in the uniqueness of their community and church is is really ideal all right well thank you so much i have one last question for you if if you were able sehun if you were able to go back and send yourself a letter or an email or a voicemail or something back when you were younger when you were you know in the beginnings and wondering what is all this and am i lost and what is god's plan for this what would you tell yourself looking back now that you are where you're at now you know um somebody who's been with me 20 years um, told me that, hey, Pastor, you, um, you know, when I was in ASU or now in somewhere else, but your message didn't change. So I said, well, really? I changed a lot because before I was very driven. So, you know, whatever I think right, I just go there crazy. And I just uh, even force people, <laughs> traumatize people maybe. But now I'm different. Um, 
I will try to be more being led. So before it's more about gaining, but nowadays for me, my goal is how, how I can empty myself more. So um, if I can send a certain letter to my young um, saying, I don't know, because um, yeah, be the way you're gonna hit the wall someday and you're gonna be changed. That's what I know. Um, um, I don't wanna correct when, you know, where, where, where my young Sanghun is. Um, and I just wanna uh, say that continue to do your best. Um, don't to be harsh on yourself and don't to criticize and don't try hard too much to survive. More trust in, in God and try to spend uh, more uh, time with God. Um, and however, whatever you struggle, um, it's a good thing. It's not a shame. Um, it's not a, a guilt journey. So um, keep up good work, but um, um, just try to give yourself more permission to be not okay or to feel failure or to be broken because that never goes away. Thanks for listening. I encourage you to put what you've heard today into action. How are you going to be intentional about building a culture of care for both yourself and for others in your church? And don't forget, if you want to be reminded when an episode goes live, make sure you subscribe. Thanks for connecting and take care.